Hello and welcome back to the movie graveyard. Just a little bit of an editor's note here tonight. Um, a few of you might remember a couple months ago we made the big transition from the 1980s movie graveyard, which was only covering finest films of the 1980s, to becoming the movie graveyard, opening up the you know the span a little bit. And we promised we would have some more movies coming from some more decades, most likely the 90s. And, uh, well, tonight we have our first 90s show, and before we get into it here, I just want to give you a little bit of a background. Why did we make this change? You know, we were very popular as the 1980s movie Graveyard. Why would we change it? Basically, it was always my intention to start a 90s companion show. I wanted to keep them separate, 80s and 90s shows, because I realized they're both niche audiences. Yeah, there's some crossover but some people want to keep it only 80s or only 90s but long story short i was kind of forced um not that it's really cost that much money to do this podcast because we used to host on a free server uh for called talk shoe well unfortunately talk shoe had a lot of technical problems 2017 they weren't uh reliably uh hosting our episodes anymore some were going missing we were having major problems with talk shoe so while I was figuring out what our options could be for our podcast, I figured out the best thing I could do is move us over to actual paid hosting service, which is Podbean is what we're using. And Podbean's been great and awesome, but unfortunately, you only get one feed on there. So in order for me to host the 90 show separate on there, it would have been literally, you know, basically a whole nother account, a whole nother charge per month. So that's why we melded the 80s and 90s together here and just became just the movie graveyard. In this upcoming episode you're about to hear right now, there will be, I think we started the show and we call it, originally the 90s show was going to be called the 1990s movie multiplex. So uh, you will hear us, you know, reference that show name. Obviously that show will not be coming to fruition now. It's just all kind of melded here into the movie graveyard. So thanks a lot for your patience. Thanks a lot for all your loyal listenership. And uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy the show still, even with a little bit of 90s mixed in. So without further ado, here's the show. You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Hello 90s movies fans and welcome back to the 1990s movie Megaplex. We are happy to be joined with something spooky, something kooky, something ooky today. We are happy to be celebrating a movie that 20 years now has not gotten its proper due. But uh, I'm very happy to say I'm being joined today by one of my longtime podcasting associates. We're talking with Jelly from the Second Round Podcast. Jelly, how you doing tonight? I'm excellent. How's it going? I'm, I'm glad to be uh, a, a part-time ticket taker here at the That's Megaplex. That's right. Taking the ticket. <laughs> you know, it was your first night. I, I let you off easy. I let you tear the tickets here. You know, this beautiful, you know, 1992 era f- uh, film theater. We were able to, you know, kind of spruce up and get on the cheap, you know, get a couple <laughs> tax breaks here. And we're here showing the, uh, you know, the classics of the of, of the whole decade of the 1990s. And uh, yeah, I do, mi- I do miss those 90s movie theaters where like where like eight screens was considered a lot and yeah. you know you'd go in and you would not hear the other movie playing in the theater right next to you 
Exactly. I was just at uh, I was just at Logan, and uh, I don't know for sure if it was John Wick next door, but I mean, Logan's it's got its action beats for sure, but it's also got its quiet, pensive moments. And I'm sitting there hearing <laughs> in the theater next door while I'm trying to watch uh, this movie be serious. Oh, I know, I know exactly the feeling. Uh, about a month or so ago, I uh, went to see Hidden Figures, and I'm really trying to, you know, get into the era, you know, and the classic soundtrack and feel the mood. And, like, nonstop, I just have, like, fucking Xander Cage's triple X explosions going <laughs> off in my ear. It was beyond, beyond annoying. But, yeah, like, uh, I know what you mean, man. It's not the same. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of this website, Jelly, but I really recommend it. It's called cinematreasures.org. And basically, it's just like a big website where people upload information about their favorite movie theaters and if they have photos, upload photos. And uh, yeah, like I was um, looking at a theater that no longer exists anymore, but the one I used to go to in Florence, Kentucky, it was an eight screener. And, you know, the total of all the theater, you know, all the houses in there uh, combined on those eight screens, they had four, about 4,500 seats for this multiplex. Now, contrast that to where I live now, we have a horrible Cracker Jack stadium style, whatever, 14plex. And I added up, uh, because they actually have the, the numbers on the doors, I added up, there's like less than 2,000 seats in a current 14plex. So... Literally, I mean, the, literally, the, the you know, the theaters that I grew up going to, you know, were generally twice as big as the ones, you know, in terms of seating and whatnot. And just, I don't know. It's just, it just crazy to me. You need to get to watch an actual film print. Exactly. So, <laughs> it's a crazy. But we'll go ahead and get the movie rolling here. Uh, yeah, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Uh, we'll get into it and we'll talk about our history with this film. And uh, I have a long history of this film, one of my favorites for sure. But uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I know there's different releases of this, DVDs, Blu-rays, whatnot. I have the Blu-ray on the one-second mark. It's going to be a little bit off, a little different timing if you have the DVD, because I know there's various logos. But we're talking, it's paused on like the very beginning of the Universal logo, which is, it starts out, it's basically blackness, and then a globe, and like some light starts to come up. So we're right there. At the very beginning of this 1995 era Universal logo. So I'm going to say one, two, three, go. And when I say go, hit play on your uh, remotes, your portable DVD players, or whatever you have, your streaming devices, whatnot. So are, are you ready for the countdown, Jelly? I'm ready. All right. Come on, everybody, grab your remotes. One, two, three, go. All right. See that Universal logo flying around? Was I right, Jelly? Is that obvious CGI? <laughs> or what? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm waiting for the globe, because like I said, it looks like an egg. I'm waiting for it to crack open and Howard the Duck to jump out. <laughs> they, they tried too hard to make it look like the Earth instead of just a round. <laughs> exactly. Like, if you look at the one from, like, the 1940s or whatever, where it's, like, black and white, and it's actually, like, there's a, they, they had no concept of a space shuttle back then, so they had an airplane <laughs> fly around the globe. You ever see that one? That's my my favorite one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that like 1932 model looks more real than that stupid CGI <laughs> puffy balloon we just looked at. Ugh. Now here we have the the beginning of the movie is actually the beginning of the opening of uh, the Tales from the Crypt TV show. They just literally used the exact same footage, didn't even recreate it or whatnot. And 
I think that's a smart choice. Ultimately, you I, know, you, yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna pander to the fans in your Tales from the Crypt movie, do it. You know, in your in your bookend segments, and uh, and that I think it's a smart choice. And yeah, this opening's great. This is like one that's of the great. most iconic things that that entertainment has ever given us. Well, I mean, definitely you got to mention the score too. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great. Danny Elfman back when back when you know Danny Elfman actually composed stuff instead of just reusing shit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, watching this on the Blu-ray, you can tell a little bit more with it because it has a bit more clarity than the DVD has. But I'm sure even on the DVD, you know, or maybe it's just me. I don't know. Honestly, looking at it closer now. But uh, you can actually tell the the parts that are a camera moving through a set and the parts that are a camera moving through a model. And it's actually blended seamlessly like, as the doors open, like, and it transitions from the live, you know, stages to, like, the little model areas and stuff. It's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, and you, you, could, you could tell, like, the cuts, you know, like, yeah. the, the where they are basically blue screening stuff to make it look like a continuous shot, but... At least it, it looks like it, and it's cool. Considering it's cool they filmed opening. that in what, probably like 91, 92, it's pretty damn good. Now here we have, it's just like the opening of a Tales from the Crypt episode, which uh, we're on HBO, is always, you know, very R-rated territory. We get we get a, a slutty young woman now who uh, is in her bra and some blood and obviously on the phone with her lover. That was a big theme, I think, of the Tales from the Crypt episodes, at least a lot of the ones that I saw, was that there was always a, like, if there was ever, like, a guy who hit a lot of money and, like, kind of got the trophy wife or whatever, she would always kill him, right? That's a great line that she has, right? The, it makes me hot and squishy. Just, <laughs> <laughs> that that lets you know the, the kind of, like, sleazy territory that you're in. Oh, very right sleazy. Right off the, the get-go. And then I mean, Tales from the Crypt. EC Comics stuff was always in that territory. And it's great. And it's great, too, that they, you know, they took it to, you know, the show's creators, and obviously with the couple movies they made, took it to that R.A. level. I mean, obviously this woman could not wait to show off her breasts in this uh, <laughs> bathtub here. <laughs> and then, of course, here comes her husband, who was dissolving in the, uh, the whatever acid bath down in the basement of course he's a zombie you know always them gooey eyed half rotten usually wet waterlogged zombies from the ec comics would come out yeah that's it's john larroquette <laughs> yeah all of a sudden the crypt keeper calls cut and we pull back and we see that it's uh you know john larroquette's actually playing this ghoul here and uh you know, I don't know about you, Jelly, but I was kind of startled when the Crypt Keeper jumped out of his chair. He's kind of kind of wobbly looking here, wouldn't you say? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, uh, Billy Barty's protege probably they had run across the screen with a green helmet on, <laughs> and they CGI'd in the puppet's uh, the head. I, 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 that looks like what the effect was to me, but uh, yes, not the not the best. No. But then we're back to you know more typical puppet stuff here, and yeah. it looks great. I mean this this is a great puppet, a great animatronic. Oh, it's and, yeah, and the voice and everything, and you know I like I honestly was never like that huge into the Crypt Keeper himself. I just liked the way he, you know his look was, but you know he had a lot of puns there. Like he told John Larroquette that he's no Robert Deadford. What what do you? <laughs> What do you think about his horrible puns that he has? Or Scary Coleman? Yeah, you're no Scary Coleman. 
Well, who is scary? A uh, scary Coleman. I mean, that's that's a very rare talent there. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 that fine line, right? Of like, yeah. so bad it's good. Yeah. And and uh, and I think it's very self aware in that, oh, and yeah. you know, that's that's a really hard kind of humor to nail. Um, but I do think they nail it, and there's moments of that in this movie itself too, where they go with a it's so not funny that it's funny type stuff and it works it's it's like it's it's one of the hardest types of humor to nail but uh and humor is so subjective but i think when you get it right you, it it's really good yeah and i have to say i always love the crib hebrew when he introduces like the actual thing because like then he goes from like laughing maniacally to then he's always like and now the tale demon night. <laughs> like I always like his little scary intro for the titles. Yeah, it's it's uh it's that perfect kind of scary, especially like for where where I was when this movie came out. I mean, I didn't see it in theaters because I was thirteen. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I rented it on on DVD or well, it would have been VHS actually back in back in those days. But I rented it for like a. A friend of mine and I would always rent like a horror movie whenever we had a sleepover, and uh, it's that perfect. Like you get scared from it when you're like fourteen, fifteen years old. Oh yeah, I mean, and be, to be fair, like even though this is a Tales from the Crypt thing, compared to other horror movies, even from that time period, like it keeps the intensity up pretty good. And 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 also, I think too. I mean, when you're a kid, I think a lot of the movies that at least scared me when I was younger were a lot of the ones that really had creative kind of scary imagery and this movie has that a lot i think yeah and it's, especially at the start here like if you've never seen this movie at the start you really aren't 100 percent sure who the good guy and who the bad guy yeah. are yeah i, I definitely know. think in a good way they took a page from the terminator for sure <laughs> yeah you just see you just see two scrag well a scraggly kind of looking guy and a and a more kind of typically handsome looking guy or whatever just chasing each other yeah and i mean they don't out out and right say it but the way billy zane is dressed he's kind of almost like a walker texas ranger type he looks like so like i always kind of kind of got the impression when i first saw this that he was like one of them shit kicking like hillbilly texas ranger type of guys you know and then obviously you have the very skeevy and this this opening scene that was the uh debut to the world of the rock band filter with their Hey man, nice shot song. And they actually did. If, if you're a fan of that song, I think everybody's heard it a million times because it was in a million different movie, <laughs> movies, TV shows, and then eventually trailers in the '90s. Uh, they actually, because uh, the song kind of there's like a halfway point where it kind of quiets down in the middle of the song. Well, for some reason, they actually used the like the end of the song in the first part, and then like there's a bit of break when the cars blow up, and then the start song like restarts, and then it's just. Then it's actually the beginning. Like what you hear is the end of the song in the movie is actually really kind of the beginning part of the song. Interesting. Yeah. Back on back on Billy Zane is I know he's he's credited only as the collector, um, and and in a, in a different version of the script when they thought their budget was going to be only like uh, five million bucks or something, he was going to be a. Uh, a door-to-door Bible salesman was kind of going to be his character. And all the demons that he summons were also going to be like door-to-door Bible salesmen that were only going to be revealed as demons, uh, like 
I don't know, halfway through or towards the end of the movie or something uh, because they weren't sure they were going to get the money to be able to do demon costumes. And then uh, toward, you know, as production was, was getting ready to start, Universal said, we can't do a movie called Demon Knight and not have demons. <laughs> yeah. So they kicked him a few more, a, you know, a few million more. They bumped it up to at least a like ten to twelve million dollar budget, and uh, and we got the the movie. This this was a script, you know, this was the script they wanted to do, but they had kind of rewritten it uh, for a lower budget in case yeah. they had not made it uh, to the budget because there were some budgetary concerns. Yeah, there was like a few different versions. I know. And then once it was deemed it was going to be a Tales movie, there and there was kind of like even some more re- revising to make it kind of appeal to you know the Tales crypt from the crypt uh, type audience, and you know kind of beefing up the monsters and whatnot. Which I mean, I yeah, think that's... this was originally going to be uh, Tom Holland's follow up to Child's Play. Right. Uh, that was his original plan for it, and, and Tom Holland's made some some really good movies in his day. So yeah. You can you can definitely see some of his his fingerprints on this, you know, just in terms of, uh, and I or at least just maybe why this would appeal to Tales from the Crypt is it's got the blend of humor and stuff and horror and uh, the humorous thing that is the horror it works. Yeah, I mean, and, and honestly too, it's like I don't know, like the premise of this film has always impressed me. We'll get into it a little bit, it kind of as it unravels, but. For this being kind of like a real legit B grade, you know, this movie came out in January. I remember it came out like in the middle of like uh, my senior year of high school, and like, I mean, it. I mean, obviously, like it was the type of movie I was like all geeked up about. But this was not like you know, it's not like now when you know there's like a horror movie and everybody's a buzz about it and stuff. Like, like nobody was talking about this movie, and that was a time when there is like no such thing as really a hit movie in January. If you know what I mean? No, this is, this was definitely, uh, what they, like they call it. Fuck you. It's January territory. Exactly. Uh, January. Yeah. In the nineties, especially was just a dumping ground. And I mean, like there is, you know, Joel Silver was like one of the main producers behind this as, you know, he was involved with tales of the crypt. And I mean, that even kind of shows on the producer and studios in that they really had no faith. It was just like, let's just dump this out at a time. You know, I'm not saying that they, you know, were completely given up on it, but it was more like, let's just dump this. You know, this is probably going to be a weak financial, financially be a weak movie for us. Let's just dump it at a time where there's really not much competition at all. You know what I mean? And isn't that, excuse me, isn't that just such a, a sign of how th- how much times have changed like yeah if uh if your hit hbo show your game of thrones or yeah. you know whatever was releasing a movie in theaters these days it would be counted on to be a- at least probably like uh you know four or five hundred million dollar type of box office returns oh, yeah. and th- this movie they i think they were probably pretty happy uh, coming up to like, I think they roughly broke even, like in terms of, uh, you know, after all your marketing budget and all that stuff, they probably like basically broke even and then probably made money on home video and stuff because this is back when people actually rented videos. <laughs> exactly, and and when you could, you know, most movies, 
you know, unless it was something big like Batman or something. Most movies like this, I'm sure it was probably one of those ones that probably cost 60 to $70 and rental places probably bought it and then probably rented the shit out of it. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. like, like back in the VHS rental store days, shit, man, like <laughs> horror was like, you know, you, you know, as a kid, you troll that horror section and sometimes there's like a movie that's like 10 years old, but it's like always rented out and you almost have to wait for it to come back. I remember that happening a lot. Yeah. Whereas, whereas, isn't it so weird the age we live in now where people are like, oh, that movie's, um, oh, yeah, that's three and a half months old? Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's ancient. Forget it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It was a, definitely was a different, you know, like, I know you like, yeah, people weren't really buzzing about this, but uh, you, you could find people a year or two years after it that would that would be talking about it especially like in our age group of uh of you know people who would go and rent horror movies and and stuff like that and yeah that that doesn't happen anymore no yeah and and, and it's kind of unique too because like i mean i guess maybe a little bit but like this to me didn't strike me as the type of horror movie you take a girl to so she grabs your arm this seems more like like you go to the movie theater and you sit down and you look around and it's just nothing but guys, <laughs> probably you know older high school, college age guys. You know what I mean? And like, there's a time when the movie industry like really focused on that kind of that demographic. And well, the the, the trailers for this movie, it's kind of funny. The trailers say, uh, I I appreciate the 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 blatant honesty of the trailers. It goes, it's the trailers were all done by the crypt keeper. Going, oh, here's my first movie's going to be coming. Blah blah blah. And at the end, he would go, and ladies, if this is too icky for you, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything was all about, like, a, a eyeball shooting out and some gross, like, green zombie vomit and shit. Like, it was that era of just, like, goofy shit like that. But, yeah. The, like Meeting the, all our characters. Yeah. And, and then, at this point, we've met already like almost all the characters in the movie. This is efficient storytelling. It's very efficient because we, we, we kind of talked through a part where um, Sadler, he tried to steal a car outside a diner. And then it's always like in these movies, it's like the halfway house diner or whatever. I wonder if that's a real chain or a real thing, like, or if it's just like a fake movie world type thing that somebody came up with. But, uh, but yeah, like we, we kind of got a glimpse of like, the diner owner and his kid and his wife and like talk about efficient like like they just kind of run out hey this guy's trying to steal our car and they scare him off or whatever like we see these characters like they have like one line or something and then they come back later as demons and we're supposed to be like oh that was them people and it's, it's very blink if you missed it character introduction but of course uh dick miller runs into sadler and brings him back to the boarding house that they live in which in the story, I believe it's supposed to be an old church, right? Converted. Yeah. yeah. It says it used to be a church. It was decommissioned in the 50s. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting, too, checking out some of the behind-the-scenes type shit. Um, this house or this church, whatever, is actually not anything at all. It's actually a soundstage. And uh, to the director's uh, wishes, they actually built a soundstage in a like an airplane hangar in the Van Nuys airport in the Valley in Los Angeles. Cause I guess he was afraid that cause the whole movie takes place at night. It would be really hard to shoot like all at night all the time, you know? So it's just like, let's just go to a thing where it's like 
all the windows are just blacked out from the outside type deal so we don't have to worry and then we can work normal hours and you know which really like it's kind of genius when you think about it because that really frees up you know the time in terms of like you could probably have all the guy all the effects guys working all night to get the shit ready and then you just shoot it all day long you know what i mean yeah yeah, talk about something that doesn't happen anymore. Exactly. Building a, building a whole house on a set. <laughs> yeah, and even some of the the outside too, like where, where you kind of see the cars are out the front door. Pretty pretty inventive. And um, yeah, let's talk about some of the actors we have in this because this is actually a pretty damn good cast. Because like we said, we you have William Sadler, obviously Billy Zane, we know is the the bad guy, but then we have veteran character actor dick miller playing uncle willie the old drunk of the boarding house um you have cch pounder she plays like the lady who runs it i'm not sure if she's the owner but she definitely runs it then we just walked into the movie thomas hayden church as as roach yeah we saw him earlier at the diner he's like the dishwasher (laughs) like in 1995 (laughs) in a movie they're (laughs) passing off that somebody's occupation is dishwasher but yeah, he actually has one of my favorite uh, lines because he's coming to sleep with Cordelia, who's the prostitute of the hotel. But he actually has one of my favorite lines. And this movie has a lot of quirky lines from either him or Billy Zane. But I love it when he walks in and he goes, he goes, hello, motel people. <laughs> <laughs> like a, a trashy guy named Roach who washes dishes at a dirty ass diner. He's looking down on someone. <laughs> Then we have uh, Charles Fleischer, who a lot of people will probably, probably a lot of horror fans will know him for his like two second doctor cameo from the original Nightmare on Elm Street. But he's more of a guy you don't see on screen uh, a lot because he does voices and he is the voice of Roger Rabbit, as we all know. He plays such a like a his character. I think the first time I saw this movie, I didn't I didn't pick up. And again, it's all that efficient storytelling. Um, in this ninety-minute movie, you gotta you gotta bl- burn your way through uh, who your characters are. Uh, I didn't pick up the first time I saw it that he was a a, 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 a postman. Yeah, who's been fired. Post-war. And and I tell you what, it was just kind of recently that I noticed his shirt that he wears. It's like his postal shirt, and just the name tag has been ripped off because they have kind of like the dirt like outline of where his name tag used to be yeah. or, or or not even not as it wouldn't be his name tag it would be the usps uh logo he's what well, and that's a line that that he has he's saying earlier in the movie he goes uh i don't know he says something and he goes you never believe what happened he walked up and ripped my my postal service tag right off of me or something yeah. like that yeah. And basically he explains he was fired because there was a bunch of missing mail which gets paid off real late in the film yeah, <laughs> like like long after at, you, a weird... at a weird time <laughs> for no reason, kind of. But so here, here we have Breaker uh, when the cops show up with Billy Zane. Obviously, Billy Zane he does he never flat flat out lies to the cops that he's somebody, but he acts like he's somebody of like an authority. The way he you know kind of starts barking orders and you know kind of just bsing his way so they they take his word and they go after him uh looking for striker at this motel and uh yeah striker grabs uh geraldine oh I, I always screw up because i always want to call her geraldine but her name's geraldine yeah. in the movie gerald geraldine yeah jada pinkett not smith at this point just jada pinkett 
And uh, yeah, I really like Jada Pinkett, and I'm, I yeah. think it has to do with this movie. I don't mind her. I mean, she's she, she's fine, and and she's good in this. I like this. Yeah, movie. she's great in this. But the cops we have, uh, I'm blanking on his name here. The guy who plays the sheriff, but he's been in a ton of shit. John but, Shuck. Yeah, that's right, John Shuck. Uh, was John Shuck the guy? I swear, unless I'm mistaken, I think he might have played Herman Munster in that weird 90s or 80s revival of the Munsters. I don't know about that. Yeah, but uh, with him is awesome Native American actor Gary Farmer. <laughs> no, I know he... I know John Shuck would often play a, a Klingon. Really? On Star Trek. Um, well, now I'm on his, Yep, it says uh, in the 1980s, he starred as Herman Munster in The Munsters Today. Yeah. Yeah. I, wa- <laughs> I watched that as a kid because I love I Like when I was really super young, they still played like a lot of syndicated channels where they played the regular, you know, the real Munsters. So. When that, whatever, even though it was kind of an awful show, like, I still watched that redo that they did in the 80s. So, yeah, so already, like, whatever we are at, we are at the 22-minute mark, and we kind of, like, yeah, I think we're introduced to every single character already that we'll see. And there was was a little boy... uh, who uh, saw Stryker at the diner, you know, about to steal the car. He comes into play later on, but these are kind of like the main characters. Gary Farmer bursts in on Thomas Hayden Church having his nipples. At, like After he gets a good long look. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what would you say? That was like a good 12 to 15 second gander at what was going yeah. on. Yeah. Basically, the Cordelia was riding Thomas Hayden Church while she had a car battery hooked up to his nipples, so. Yeah. I like that line that he has to. My nipples are smoking. Yeah, you can tell. It's like I tell you what. Like uh, I really like the the first Blade movie, but it, I kind of wonder what it would have been because Ernest Dickerson, who directed this movie, I know for a long time was kind of one of the original people trying to get a Blade movie off the ground. You know, long before the Wesley Snipes version happened. So it would have been kind of interesting if he would have got something off the ground earlier in their you know the earlier 90s yeah that would have been he he didn't do a whole lot of movies no uh, but he did do a lot of tv yeah i think he did a lot of videos and like a lot of tv he had a couple little movie things this would kind of be in his i think his most major movie and then yeah unless you count bulletproof with damon waynes and adam sandler yeah that's kind of i don't know it seemed like Ernest dickerson kind of had his run with universal like b movies and then that was it yeah bulletproof is actually okay it's actually i haven't seen it in a long time but it's it's one of the i don't know it's one of the adam sandler movies that i, I, can I haven't seen tolerate. it in so long i couldn't tell yeah. you if i you know liked it anymore but i caught it on I did like- a couple years ago and so here we're getting we're getting our first glimpse at uh, the, key. the key. Yeah. And this was originally going to be uh, when they had planned like a whole trilogy of Tales from the Crypt movies. The key was going to be sort of a somewhat central figure or uh, at least appearing in all of them. And I think it actually does appear briefly in Bordello of Blood. But yeah, yeah that's this was supposed to be their their like. They're through line for all the movies. 
was this key. And it's a cool, I mean, it's a it's a cool little prop, a cool little design. Yeah, and unless I misunderstood it, like, the way they explain it with the key, you know, it, it was created or whatever when, um, you know, demons were ruling the earth, whatever, but they, I think there might have been multiple keys as well. I think, I think is it seven There's or like, nine? One of those two. It's like eight or yeah, it's like seven, eight or nine, and then like the thing they've is, got all but one. Yeah, like this is the last one type deal, and that's why you know. And here we finally at whatever we are the twenty five minute mark. Now we finally know for sure because you know the cops are arresting Breaker <laughs> and all this. Now we know for sure who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, and uh, I, I mean, I just, I don't know, very. I think that was very intention intentional. Like, you know, I can't think of any other movie of, of that time period that did that. Like the Terminator did it, you know? Yeah. Even T2 kind of throws you for a loop. Cause you think Arnold's the bad guy and Robert Patrick is the human. Cause he's a little wimpy guy at first. And then, yeah. It's, Oh, that's such a great, <laughs> great floating head prop or flying head prop. And yeah. just, it's such a cool start to the movie. Or like you know, like start to the action, just just throw right into it. Yeah, for and, people people not familiar, maybe they haven't seen it while. Well, Billy Zane punches through the sheriff's head, then gets the head stuck on his hand, <laughs> and then has, and throws it across the room and hits somebody with it. And then, now now Billy Zane is just he was like this this quiet cool for the first half hour of the movie, and now he's just you hold up hold up well then motherfuckers. <laughs> Yeah, that's great because he gets burned with the key. So he literally flies through a window and he goes outside and he he's like, fuck this hillbilly shit. He rips the coat off. And then he starts going into this almost Jim Carrey-esque diatribe about humans and all you podunk motherfuckers and all this. And then he, he creates the demon horde here. And I have to say, His like... brain is predator blood everywhere. Yeah, pure predator <laughs> blood. I, I, I think... Uh, Bill Sadler has a key full of Jesus's blood. Billy Zane has a key full of the Predator blood. <laughs> but yeah, he he drips the Predator blood into the sand here, which creates some kind of reverse melting little embryonic type figures who eventually grow up into some. Oh, in their like little state here, they almost remind me of some pumpkin head type figures, wouldn't you say? Yeah. This is a great little moment here where he kisses the one. Yeah, I know. As I was saying, there's some great improvisation. I mean, Ernest Dickerson, this movie looks great, the action's great, but I think he's a good director because he really, you know, kind of lets the, the actors run free with what they're doing and everything. And Billy Zane runs with this. Yeah. He really does. Uh, he's what'll keep you coming back to this movie. He's got just some, just some great moments and we've already seen a couple of them but yeah so this is these are the demons that uh yeah the, the 90s demons with their piercings and mm, the goatees <laughs> their ponytails and they are scary they got some real uh you know skinny performers and put them on stilt legs and whatnot i mean i like that's what sold me on this movie made me an instant fan of this movie yeah, they do have the good like the good like hoof legs and everything that's yeah. a really and you don't see them that often from the back, but the few times kind of later in the movie you do see them, they actually have tails that are kind of articulated and go around yeah. a little bit. 
it's it's that like attention to detail even when no one's gonna see it anyways type of sure. stuff. And you know, I'm sure probably on every episode of this podcast I'll do it at some point, but I just have to point out the fact that you would not get the feeling that you get from seeing these demons if they were all if this was a modern movie and they're all CGI creatures. Like No, that's I mean there'd be this this is definitely one of those where like they would be CG and it would be worse for it. You know, yeah. I mean there's there's obviously some stuff that that it's it's great for, you know. It's it's yeah. it's, it's great for something that's not human in shape or form or function at all and and just kind of exists as this is kind of hard to define type of thing but like I mean, these are just demons these are just dudes you know oh. like you don't you don't need more than than good makeup and and some and some good masks and and just go with it and yeah, and I feel like I've been uh, here. We, we kind of have the demon siege here, and Breaker kind of shows that they can be killed by either stabbing or shooting their eyes out. But I feel like also too, for as much as we kind of been evangelizing the use of mocap, and like mocap is amazing. I mean, like I think probably the best mocap I've ever seen is really when they do it with apes, whether it be for Peter Jackson's King Kong or the recent string of Planet of the Apes films. But um, as much as you can get with motion capture, like, also sometimes there's something to be said. You know, it's all about performance, and motion capture is about capturing a performance, but you can also sometimes capture performance with such somebody under prosthetics in a, in a full-body suit as well. You know what I mean? Just yeah. depends on what you're trying to kind of bring to life. I think it makes you act more in your actions, your body actions. Yeah. Sometimes. Because, I mean, even though, you know, these demons, they don't talk. They kind of snarl and bite and stuff. And some of them, you know, they have lips that snarl up. And, they, of course, they can blink and stuff. But, like, their their facial movements are limited somewhat. But, I don't know, in a way, that kind of makes them scary, too. Yeah. Like this, where it's just... It works to its benefit that it's just getting shot and not very moving, you know, not moving yeah. very much. And I think sometimes, too, in even movies that have the CGI, I feel like they kind of get so enamored with what they can do. Whereas I feel like when you're kind of shooting around sometimes a physical thing that, you know, a few seconds can fool you, but a full minute and a half scene can't. So, like, I, I kind of miss how, like, things were shown sparingly back in the days when everything was practical and, you know, not quite as, you know, whatever. I mean, I won't even go as far as to call CGI convincing or lifelike, because sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But, I don't know, I, like, I think that less or more approach works in a lot yeah. of movies, and not, I don't, don't see... Yeah. Don't show the shark. Exactly. You know, like... Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it works. Um, so, here, yeah, Breaker is... Sealing up all the entryways with this with this blood. That's what the key of blood is for. It can create the blood inside can create a seal to keep the demons out. And there was one demon tried to jump through, and it's kind of cool because not so much as when it jumped through the barrier, uh, not so it didn't so much explode as it kind of got turned inside out. It was kind of interesting. I like the bar- the barrier is cool. You know, even Billy Zane can't really go through it and. Yeah, it's it. There's a rule that doesn't really make sense. Uh, freeze their tortured souls because, like, 
they're demons that right. he called up with his blood. Like not necessarily, <laughs> they're not like possessed people or anything. But uh, I mean, whatever. They they thought of a reason for it that it it works. And yeah, when you kill them, you get like their eyeballs shoot out. Like pretty much like best I can describe is green lightning bolts. <laughs> And you don't want to be in the way of it because it can fuck you up if you get hit with the lightning bolts. But yeah, let's talk about. I, I like this character, this breaker character too. This is a, I, I guess you could say he's a, a bit of a trope in that like, it, it's it's certainly become something that's a little more popular now of the guy who's fighting on the side of of right and the side of God, but is a a bit of a an ad an asshole too like right um because he's i mean he's he's clearly like a warrior of god right like that's he's fighting against demons he's got a, a key full of at least some of christ's blood you end up finding out later that uh, most of what's it. in there is it's been has to be refilled but like he's a he's a holy crusader he's a holy warrior but he's like a complete dick too <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of those great kind of crusty, reluctant heroes, you know. But uh, I don't know. Like you said, it is a trope. But I mean, it really it really works in this story. I think even more than others because it was we see it's something that gets passed down over the years. So it's not like these people are, you know, choosing this. Really, they usually get stuck in these horrible situations where the responsibility is kind of forced on them and then they have to kind of come to grips with like, hey, either I do this or mankind is pretty much going to end, you know, and we're going to live in this demon world. The lighting in this movie. Like, while he's yeah. going around sealing up the door, the windows, and they get the red glow and then the the lighting of that, that cross flickering, that's really good lighting in this movie. Yeah, and like, I know on the other show, the 1980s movie Graveyard, I would bitch a lot about this, but I just have to bring it up because this movie is such a strong example of this is, I think there's kind of a, one of the cases to still shoot some movies on film where it makes sense or the budget allows for it is, uh, I don't know, film to me, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, Jelly, but film to me, it requires a lot more careful lighting and it seems to pick up like stylized lighting a lot better than the digital world does. Like, I don't know. I haven't seen too many digitally shot movies that really capture this kind of stylized lighting scheme. Like, usually when you see it in a digitally shot movie, it just looks like, you know, if they want to put red into a scene, it just looks like the actor has to literally step in front of a red spotlight. Whereas, like, you get more little, little beams of light and tinges of different colors here and there on some of these you know, more classically shot 80s, 90s, even early 2000s uh, yeah, horror I, films. I think it's a, it's a combination of, like, yeah, digital not picking up light the same way. Yeah, because it works and, completely different. And, you know, directors relying more on, oh, we can color correct this after, and, yeah. you know, we get CG and some lighting if we need to, and so, you know, yeah. like stuff like that that... Uh, you couldn't do and I, and I know that it's it's not all that because you know you see some filmmakers who are like you know still around that from the film days you know, that grew up making movies on film and now are trying to do digital like their movies don't look good anymore because yeah. they just ha they haven't adapted their cinematography to like david cronenberg's a great example yeah. um whatever you think of the quality of the movies themselves his movies that have been done on digital look like they've been done on 
video. Yeah. Um, they're 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 really not good looking movies. And for a guy whose earlier works look fantastic, oh, they look um, they look painstakingly detailed, you know. And so there is there is something to be said about just they pick up light differently. But I also think there's a, a filmmaker attitude difference too these days. Of oh, we we just correct that. Yeah, and I mean, I mean probably some of that out. has to, <laughs> some of that has to do with probably shrinking budgets as well because it takes a long time to light a film set. I know. Like you said, now I'm like looking at it even more, like the beams of light coming through, like yeah. the, you know, the beam of the flashlight, like with the dust in the air and stuff. Yeah, it's it's almost hard to believe, like you said, that that this is a set because you, you wouldn't think a set would have as much dust and and stuff in particular to Clutter. make beams of light like that, you know. Yeah, I mean, even like this scene with just these two guys talking, and it cuts from angle to angle, and each angle kind of, you know, you can kind of see where the light's coming from and how it's hitting them and stuff, and kind of what it does for the mood of the scene and the atmosphere. Yeah, like I, that's one thing I really miss. I mean, you know, I don't know. Like, like I find it really strange. Like, I mean, I love, you know, and also it has to do with my age and how many films I've watched and how many films I watched in a theater and whatnot but like i just will always prefer the grainy shot on film look to the clean digital look but there's sometimes i do uh appreciate a cleanly shot digital film uh especially on the my newest tv but uh but yeah i mean i don't know like as as far as you know i i think th- i think digital is a better format if people are going to be watching your stuff on like a 4k tv and i think film is a much better format if you're going to be watching it in a big theater on a projector because you can have digital projection but if you run a film print like and i'm sure you see this jelly because i know you have a projector and i got one not too long ago too and like i watch those grainy old blu-rays on my digital projector and i don't know like i like i get fooled that i'm watching almost a film projector sometimes yeah. <laughs> this is funny but uh but yeah, so I don't know. And, and the reason I bring it up is just because I think out of all the genres, maybe maybe horror is kind of the one that's I don't know, kind of felt the sting a little bit more from everything going digital. Well, because digital blood is the worst. Oh yeah, <laughs> digital. There's digital effects. There's digital cameras. Pretty much anything digital is bad. <laughs> if you're talking about horror films. I thought, even though it never really goes anywhere, I thought that was an interesting wrinkle where uh, Breaker was worried about the cat because animals can be possessed by the demons as well, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool, you know, like, just shows you that n- nothing is, not, you can't trust anything, nothing is safe, uh, builds the tension. And then this this part, this scene is great. Uh, the There's, like, a little bit of score like very very subtle i know when you're like when you're watching it it's very subtle just kind of you know throbbing kind of underneath this uh and and billy zane's performances he's 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 back to like the cool collected he's he's very charismatic in this moment here yeah you know you're oh you're beautiful you are he's got a very like throaty like very like sultry kind of voice going on this is a great like little seductive scene to like 
to show you, you know, uh, just how much of an intimidating villain he is because he can punch you through the head or seduce you. Yeah. Like, pretty much this is the first time we see his true kind of M.O. as a demon. Um, Yeah, he could kill you, but then you'll be dead, and then, you know, he doesn't really get much out of it. But if you're in a position where you have something he wants or you can do something for him, he basically gets in your head and uh, he he tries to, you know, play to your innermost, uh, I guess, uh, desires or weaknesses or whatever, and... You know, he, oh, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but just where the the little touches of, you know, he's outside moving his hand, and he's wiping the tear away, and he's and you can see he he ends up smoothing her lips a little bit, like that's that's a great little touch, great little effect, right there. It, it, it is great, and it works in an emotional way that you actually feel bad for this uh, prostitute character who up until this point was never, you know, was not that, you know, like I think that one scene built so much sympathy for her, you know what I mean? Yeah, like you're, like you're saying, this is where you, you see that, yeah, he's he's going to worm his way inside your head to, to turn you. Yeah, and I think that's a great kind of, you know... And there's a lot of movies that, or horror movies that have villains that, like, they have some magic power that gives you exactly what you want. But as it goes on, you know, we see there's some people he's able to play and some he can't, you know. You know, you still kind of have a choice in it, and it all kind of depends on how weak your soul is as a person, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, there's all this great little, this movie was not well received when it came out. Well, not only that, and I and I think kind of the tales, the crypt, the you know, and the crypt keeper, and you know, all his gory bullshit where he hacks off his own hand and last maniacally. Like, I think there's a lot of subtlety in this movie. If this would have just been released as Demon Knight. It maybe would have been seen differently as like kind of a somewhat you know. But once you put that tales from the crypt name on it, I think a lot of people were like, okay, this is. You know, beer guzzling, kind of bottom of the barrel, whatever, you know. And and there actually was a lot more thought into it, both from the screenwriters and from the director, I think. The one thing they did, and now it's, you know, we've we've talked about how the script kind of passed several hands. And it wasn't necessarily, like, it wasn't an EC Comics type of thing. I think that was smart. Um, Those EC Comics stories work for little you know, half hour, quick, uh, you know, just to do a quick little story. But turning a thing where the the whole point is just a twist that, like, a a zombie come, you know, a person becomes a zombie and comes back to life doesn't work for longer than that. Yeah. Um, That's why, like, Creepshow is, like, all easy comic stuff. And, I mean, it's great, but it's, what, five stories in a two-hour movie? You know, like, those kinds of stories... They don't work in a in an hour and a half feature length film and switching it up and man, the, the effects I love these these effects here on the turning the her ripping her face open or whatever and the tongue comes out but yeah it's uh, it wouldn't have worked if it was just one of those like typical kind of tales from the crypt stories yeah and here we have CCH Pounder she gets her arm ripped off. Um... Uh, you know, she she looks kind of like a bigger, heavier set woman in this movie, which she actually wasn't um, at the time. They actually kind of 
fat suited her up so when her arm got ripped off she would kind of have a space to hide her uh, her real arm oh. and i think that was actually kind of brilliant and also too she really wasn't that old i think she was in her early 40s but the character's supposed to be like in her 50s or so so you know kind of that and her hair and stuff that kind of it, it worked gave a good illusion of kind of an older woman tough older woman i really like her character uh, as it goes along here, and she kind of turns out to be one of the heroes, and you know, one of the one of the big badasses, really. Yeah, big time badass. And here we have the group. You know, we okay now. We see the demons aren't just outside. You know, people can get possessed inside and turn on us. And this is kind of where we start getting our Reservoir Dogs moments here, uh, mostly between uh, Thomas Hayden Church and. Um, Bill Sadler here, and uh, I gotta say, I really like Thomas Hayden Church, and um, you know, a lot of, it, it's funny, because a lot of the stuff I think he's probably most famous for, it's just one of those cases where, like, that stuff is, not that there's anything wrong with it, but it, I don't think it's really his best work, you know what I mean? Like, I think, yeah. I think he shows more range and whatever on this than he did in whatever, what, 10 years on Wings or whatever he was on, <laughs> you know? Or, like, Spider-Man 3. Yeah, and you know what? And uh you know, I like I liked him a lot from this movie. I liked him a lot from the movie Sideways and uh to kind of see him in Spider-Man 3 and, you know, that's a whole whatever can of worms, uh, you know, <laughs> I won't dare go into whose fault that was, but yeah, that was that was a disappointment, to, you know, cuz you know, I I I like Spider-Man, you know, I like the characters. I like Sandman actually a lot too as a character. I was like, you know, I was on board. I'll Thomas Hayden Church of Sam, and I'll, I'll dig that. And then to kind of see it go nowhere in the film, you know. But yeah, we're starting to see Geraldine, uh, Jada Pinkett. Starting to see a little bit more that she has a backbone and a spine. Because they actually, early on, they revealed that she was like, she's kind of getting taken advantage of being slaved away as a maid in this uh, nasty motel because she has a criminal record. But, uh. What I love about these these early flashbacks is the the implication early on uh, <clears throat> that built that that you know William Sadler's character was around witnessing these events. Right. Uh, you end up realizing you know later throughout the course of the movie that he's not the first demon no. knight, uh, but. Uh, it, then, then it kind of takes on another layer of like, oh, he, you know, that those memories are passed on. Exactly, um, it's like shared consciousness type deal. Oh, it makes Uncle Willie go first. Oh, what a Thomas Hayden sure to make up poor Uncle Willie. Dick Miller and I had to do a little bit of math, but around the time they were filming this, old Dick Miller was uh, about sixty-six years old pretty impressive to be doing a genre film like this where you know he, he he has to do some quite physical stuff a little bit later here i won't you know not that we have to worry about spoilers because anybody listening to this has seen the movie but you know what i'm talking about it's like i have to say i was pretty impressed as 66 year old man dick miller has uh he has like a like an old man caesar cut in this movie <laughs> and uh and it, and, it, and it looked like it's like almost kind of gently bleach blonde a little bit it's really strange i i i prefer more the uh the pompadoured dick miller from uh earlier films but you know 
Any Dick Miller is good Dick Miller. Oh, yeah. This is, uh, this is when I first saw this movie, I think he was the only actor that I knew. Um, you know, I just, I didn't really get into, like, film and, you know, really paying attention yeah. to stuff until, like, probably college. Before that, I was just a casual fan of movies. And, uh, and I just remember seeing this movie, you know, for the first time and going, Hey, it's the it's the guy from Gremlins. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mr. Futterman. And uh, yeah, like when I saw this, I had I knew actually I knew Sadler from Die Hard too. Like that's how I recognized him, and also Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, but more from Die Hard too. And uh, I had I know I had seen because I saw it when it came out. I had seen Menace to Society, and I knew Jada Pinkett was from that movie. Because the the trailer for this movie like tells you what everybody's from and shit, but uh, <laughs> but she was pretty much still an unknown to me because like the I don't know like the character she plays in this and even her physical look in this is like a complete one eighty than what she was like in Menace of Society. But old C C H Pounder was no uh, genre newbie though. She was in uh, what was it Psycho Three I think. Yeah, I think Psycho 3. Underrated. uh, Yeah. Sequels. The Psycho sequels. Although I don't don't see her credited in it. I see her in RoboCop 3. Really? Yeah, she was... uh... (sighs) Actually, maybe it's Psycho 4, the beginning. Because she plays the radio host that, like, Norman calls into, I believe. I think that is Psycho 4, the beginning. The CCH Pounder's in. But um, unfortunately, I don't know Bill Sadler from Buffalo. He's, he's yeah. from Buffalo. <laughs> well, to be but, fair, uh, he was he was probably he probably left Buffalo by the time you were in Buffalo. So. He's he's ten years my dad's senior. Well, so yeah, uh, yeah. And he he was active. He started his career in the in the early eighties. So uh, that would be before I was born. But. Uh, no, he's uh, he's Buffalo's own, and uh, I think I first found that out when I was looking through the cast of uh, The Mist, and I was like, "Oh, he's that guy from The Shawshank Redemption." And I like clicked the, I clicked on you know his thing to to make sure that he's the guy from The Shawshank Redemption. I go, "Oh crap, he's from he's from my hometown, Buffalo." And one of the now I'm looking at his his bio further. One of the rare uh Hollywood actors or actor of any kind I guess he has been married since 1977 to the same person that's insane I have to admit and I don't really know where I got this or whatever maybe it was from watching Bill Saylor do some naked uh Tai Chi at the beginning of Die Hard 2 or I don't know what but for some reason or maybe it was actually from the Shawshank Redemption I don't know why but I was always under the impression that Bill Sadler was a homosexual gentleman. And I was actually surprised to find out, just for whatever reason, that that was not the case. So, His son is, uh, is my age. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, isn't it hard? I mean, not that he was a spring chicken back when he did these movies in the 90s, but like when I was looking at his Wikipedia the other night, it's, it's hard to believe that like Bill Sadler... And he's still in tons of stuff now, but it's hard to believe Bill Sandler's like basically pushing seventy at this point, you know. 
I know. I mean, it, you know, makes me feel even older that these these people that I watched in movies as the quote unquote adults of my generation like are really like you know much older or whatnot. He has aged very well. I mean, this movie's yeah. movie's ninety five, and the last one that I really remember seeing him in was uh, Iron Man three, and he looks yeah. I mean, older but like the same. I mean, he, he looks like he gained fifteen to twenty pounds, maybe, and like that's it. His his hair is exactly the same, same same hair color, everything. His face is like not that aged that much. Here we go with Stryker. Now we find out the actually the origin of Stryker himself, and when he got passed on, and like <laughs> even though it's like literally just that one shot of the demon like getting his eyes shut out, like I I really like this War One flashback for some reason. Like I, I could have done with this scene, the sequence being like maybe like ten minutes long, and I would have been cool with it. I could have done with this as a movie. Yeah, <laughs> William Sadler and some other guy locked in a in a bunker in World War One fighting demons. Well, wouldn't it be crazy if like since they basically had the set there, like they could have just like knocked this out for like a million dollar movie. <laughs> <laughs> done like a 75 minute for HBO Demon Knight prequel. I think it could have worked. I'd have watched it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, the, so it's the implication that the guy who just gave it to him was uh was the, was the first one. See, that's what I always like in my head pieced together, but when I was watching this the other night, I was looking closely at like the guy who got Jesus's blood off the cross, and it, it's it's not the same guy. I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure it's not the same guy. So I think the guy that Sadler got it from was maybe the second. I mean, who really knows? But maybe the second guy because you know when the the this night of having seven souls and all this to have the demons take back the earth like. Sadler later, later tells uh, Geraldine that, you know, you might wait a lifetime, you might wait several lifetimes for the, the night to come when you have to fight or whatever, you know, and the, the little stars gimmick on your hand gets it. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Sadler's at least the third guy in the line who's done this. I like this scene where he's, he's you know, kind of explaining to them. He's going, it, it all has to, there have to be seven people that, that, they, that the demons kill. There's seven stars. There's seven keys, and they're like, "Dude, this is bullshit." And he's like, and he just like looks at them, and it, this is, I love when movies do this in some way. And he goes, "I didn't make these rules up," you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like anytime a movie says like, "I didn't make this up," like, like this is just, this is the reality of the situation we're in, or like, you know, when. So they're like, that can't be possible. And they're like, well, look behind you. It clearly is possible. Like, yeah, just what? don't have everyone be all skeptical. Have someone say, this yeah. is what's happening. People go, no, that's not possible. And you go, well, look around you. It is, you know, yeah. like. I mean, I would, all you would have done is show me one of those demons and I would have been convinced, <laughs> very convinced. I would have believed anything. But, uh, so yeah, the, the here's he's telling us that the keys basically can unlock the darkness. Yeah, uh, they can they can plunge the earth back into the chaos 
from before uh, God created light. Yeah, it's basically the demon's way of retaking the earth. And I gotta say, Sattler did an amazing job acting-wise with selling that bit of, um, like basically just exposition, but selling it in a way where he's like emotionally, you know, exhausted and exasperated and just really, you know, he, 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 like, he doesn't give a shit if they believe him or not really, but he's just fucking be like, like you're in this situation, your lives are on the line, you need to know this type of thing. And you know what's funny too is this movie feels in a good way very long and uh, you know very full and epic but I mean the thing about it is it's like a 92 minute movie but when you take credits out of the way and you take the Crypt Keepers little segments out of the way this is basically <clears throat> excuse me this is basically an 85 minute movie <laughs> and it feels very full and it's even though there's like a lot of scenes like this where they're talking and they're you know preparing for the next onslaught or attack or whatever, you know it's 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 weird. It's 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 nicely paced, but at the same time, it's pretty action packed. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it it's got enough breather moments like this to let to let it sink in and to give you some of the backstory and exposition. And yeah, it, ninety minutes, man. It's it, you don't see 90 minute movies anymore. No, you don't. <laughs> um, like, like you said, you don't the see economy. A, you don't, you definitely don't see a 90 minute movie that has this kind of mythology and backstory of, you know, the be, going back to the beginning of time. I mean, this would, this would be, if, if this movie was made today, you'd have like a, at least 10 minute detour into like the earth and darkness and yeah. demons climbing all over everything. And, and like, we, we need a shot of like a field of CGI demons. <laughs> yeah. Here we get Jada's moment, Geraldine's moment of seduction. And this is where we kind of find out that, you know, basically, you know, he looks into you as a person and he sees what you want out of life, and he offers it to you. But at the same time, you know, it's not like being hypnotized. You still have to kind of actively choice. You like, even though they don't really know what they're getting themselves into, if they say yes, you know, you basically kind of have to sell your soul to this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always thought this was a cool, like, yeah, face on there, and the hands all touching it, and then you're gonna see the blood coming into it. It's a this is a creepy little moment. Yeah, um, and when it, when the whole thing, it's a, what we're talking about is a, it's basically like a big kind of silk screen portrait of J.D. Pinkett's face. And uh, you see these hands behind it. And then, you know, it's like she has, there's blood, but it's almost like blood, like the blood, the blood is the tears coming out of like her eyes. And then the sheet drops and we see an image of all the demons basically tearing apart and eating Breaker. And then, and then Billy Zane just pops in, and he's like affable. Oh, horrible, isn't it? You know, like yeah. <laughs> and you know, he he tries to convince her that you know all her dreams of seeing the world, because obviously you know she's had some troubles with the law. She probably, I'm assuming, she's probably on probation, and that's why she's getting slaved out and can't say too much about it in this uh, motel. He's offering so, her the world. Uh, 
Oh, but yeah. Well, so one thing I wanted to mention while while William Sadler was telling his story, he said uh, he's at he's basically at least the third one because you know he said yeah it was it was uh, the blood of Jesus and then the blood of some uh, thief named Sirach. Yeah. Uh, and he said most of what's in here now belonged to a soldier whose last name was like Dickerson or Dickinson. Yeah. Uh, in World War One, so yeah, he's he's at least the third. Those the the guy who gives him the key is not the same as the guy who gets it in the first place. And uh, it's probably even more than that, but that's you oh, know just from the storytelling for sure. We know he's at least the third one. You get the feeling it's probably every roughly hundred years or so. You know, yeah, that. I'm kind of glad they didn't do that. You know, there's enough. There's enough like. Oh, it has to be seven people, seven keys, seven whatever. They didn't go like, oh, it has to be 77 years. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some movies, you know, there's a lot of movies now, and I always appreciate a good mythology, especially in a supernatural story. But there's a lot of movies now that really go overboard and try to, like, completely oversell it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I gotta, I gotta say too, for a movie where they're, you know, they're kind of trapped in this, and it is a large location. It's not like a, you know, it's not like they're in a two bedroom house or anything. But you know, for this being a kind of a claustrophobic movie, where like, like you, I don't know, like the different rooms they go into and the things they try to escape and whatever stuff they do, like, I don't know, like it never. It never feels like a boring one location type film. Like you never really have that in your mind when you watch it. Yeah, no. It. I mean, if you're really paying attention, you can notice like, oh, it's, it's clearly a low budget. There's only so many places. But yeah, they they switch it up to upstairs, downstairs, mine shaft, attic. Like, there's enough, there's enough of this set to to explore it. Yeah. And here we have Uncle Willie's seduction. This, this was my favorite part when I, when oh, I yeah. first saw the movie. Hi, and, Uncle Willie. Yeah, he basically walks into a tiki bar full of, like, probably roughly 20, like, young women all topless. And uh, kind of interesting fact, because uh, you really can't tell it's her because her looks change over the year, but the... Uh, the one uh, black girl in the group, she's actually Tracy Bingham, who would later go on Baywatch, and this is obviously uh before her enhancements or whatnot so she doesn't quite look the same but uh i always found that interesting that this is kind of how she got her start and you know here we have billy zane going full jim carrey once again and uh he's offering willie like you know bottle you know you offer him a drink and he even says like uh hey uncle willie you want a long hard one or whatever like it's just it's very it's very bizarre yeah, and this this one's called a long hard one. <laughs> yeah, suck it down. And and like I mean, when you watch the movie with the sound and the score and all that, it starts out like it starts out like really frat party ish. You know, when he walks in and all the naked women, oh Uncle Willie. But as he gets, you know, and Zane's pouring drink after drink here, like the the music kind of comes down and it gets serious. And like I don't know, I thought it was kind of cool that you know. 
I don't know. Like, they could have easily cut the scene, like, as soon as he accepted the drink. And you go, okay, he sold his soul. But, like, I kind of like it that they kind of bring that moment of sadness to, you know, the Uncle Willie character and his drinking. You know what I mean? Here's your here's your payoff. Yeah, okay. The, uh, <laughs> the, the, the stolen wall. mail. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the mailman. We They find the piles of stolen mail. And then they find, like, a chest with, like, a bunch of automatic weapons. And I got to say that... The automatic weapons and stuff are kind of a tease because like you're like oh shit yeah they're gonna gear up and shoot the shit out of the demons but he actually has no ammunition for these uzis and shit that he has but he does have like a wearable vest that he made of hand grenades and basically there's a bar on it so if you were to pull the bar all the hand grenades would pop off and blow up yeah it's just it's so for for no reason they're like he was reading our mail <laughs> yeah it was very very strange kind of sideways payoff here we have uncle willie uh he's attacking um uh breaker and at the same time now you get billy zane trying to lure in uh, cch pounder by giving her uh, her arm back (laughs) that's her great fantasy or he what he thinks meanwhile she doesn't give a shit (laughs) great piece of comedy there she holds up her arm stump and he says what's that you know that's me holding hold up my middle finger you just can't see it but yeah and uh you know this is kind of like the moment in zombie movies where people can't shoot their friend or their mother or whatever who's turned into a zombie this is where geraldine has to finally kind of you know man up or whatever and she really kind of doesn't rise to the occasion but you know the one thing they did, though, at least to kind of put a little bit of a twist on it, um, is they keep or they initially showed a couple flashes of her to like when she's talking to Billy Zane. He's like, just give me what I want and I'll leave you alone. So she's it's, it's almost like she's less torn about should I kill my friend and more torn of like, who do I really want to like throw in with? Like, do I want to? Yeah. I want. She's kind of like, do I want to fight demons or do I want to, uh, you know, just give in? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it, 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 this whole thing, you know, this whole night, it's, it seems like a pretty lost cause, and I think every character has to kind of go in in terms of what's my best chance of survival, you know, and as we'll see soon, you know. Billy Zane's word is not very good. <laughs> here's probably the movie's, I would say, maybe just the worst effect in terms of, yeah, like, that bad. does not look like Dick Miller's head no. at all. <laughs> well, there's kind of a thing when if, when the eyes first open, it looks like his head, like some kind of optical effect, and then obviously they're going to get into the gag now where they have to throw the head around, so then they go to the, whatever, plastic head, and you're right, it doesn't look like Dick Miller. Doesn't even it doesn't even look like they took a cast of his head. It really, <laughs> honestly, it really. Did, what's weird, strange about it? It doesn't even really look like how Dick Miller looked with the demon makeup on. <laughs> it just looks like a bad like Dick Miller dummy. Yet. Like they could have, they could have made him up more so that they could have made a right. more convincing pla- uh Yeah, prosthetic or because like Cordelia and the kid when they turn into demons, they kind of like their jaws separate and they become more unhuman looking. You know what I mean? Yeah. They could have done that with Dick Miller, but I don't know. That that <laughs> that's a silly moment. Uh, Billy Zane 
is making the deal with Thomas Hayden Church, and he offers him a sponge to wipe the uh, barrier seal away. And it's literally, I, I don't know how they did it or how he, you know, the, Billy Zane it's... said he improv that, but I like how he got he got it to like unroll like a cartoon tongue out of his mouth. It was really weird. Yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, and I, I could see that like how that and that kind of stuff, like the, the comedy being the comedy itself being like so campy and, and goofy probably threw a lot of people off, but yeah. uh, it's funny. But I, yeah, I think, I think they did a great job. Cause I mean, I don't hate horror comedies the way a lot of people do, but I don't really pop for them either. But I think in this movie with the humor, and it actually is actually funny humor for the most part, like, I think they picked their spots very well, you know, when you need it kind of a break from the tension and the action and just momentarily quick. So here we have Thomas Hayden Church. He hands over the key to Billy Zane, but Billy Zane just immediately sicks the uh, demons on him to rip him apart. <laughs> There's the tails you can see a good yeah. shot of. This is the scene where you really see the tails good. Need you get a good good look at the the stilt legs and yeah. And uh, one one of them, and even I haven't listened to it yet, but he does the commentary. I know on the Blu-ray, Blu-ray, but uh, one of the kind of stunt guys and guys who wore one of the demon suits actually portrayed uh, Doctor Satan in Rob Zombie's. Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. You know, now that you bring that up, they—I mean, you could you could see that, right? Like, yeah. definitely have a similar physique. Um. So here, it's it's all starting to Unravel. to really fall apart. Yeah. yeah, they're they're falling to their last. Yeah, that is the, the like like you like you mentioned is like you know it's a it is a fairly big place, uh, but they make it like more and more claustrophobic over time. You know, yeah. like starts off and they basically have the the run of the house almost. You're like, oh, that's not not so bad. And then they're in the mines, and the mines get taken away, and then some stuff happens, and now they can't be downstairs anymore. They're stuck upstairs, and now. Even more stuff has happened, and, and they're they're stuck like up in the attic for the you know duration of of what's about to happen here. Yeah, they're basically losing ground the whole time. I like I like this part. We don't we don't see a lot of it, but we get the implication that the little boy he actually instead of us seeing a moment of Billy Zane tempting him because Billy Zane actually turned his parents into demons. They were the ones who attacked in the mines, but. Uh, we actually see him start, you know, kind of start, he's looking at a comic book, and we see the comic book kind of coming to life, and we kind of gather. I thought that was kind of like a cool, interesting touch, you know what I mean? Yeah. Here's like Sadler's kind of maybe final test of Geraldine. Puts the blood on her to see what she does with it. And it's kind of funny, too, because, you know, obviously he needs to pick a successor or whatever. His time is coming, you know, to an end. But, like, you never, I don't know, like, as the movie goes on, you never, like, really focus on that, that he's, like, who he's going to pick or whatever. It, it kind of just happens in a natural, organic way, you know. Yeah. And this is great. I, where the, 
The kid turns into a demon. I yeah, I love this with the the comic book like Yeah, the comic book is mirroring like the 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 you know, the drawings in the comic book are mirroring what's going on in the scene. It's very cool. This is some this is some great, you know, prosthetic uh practical effects work here. The tongue sliding into the chest and yeah. the kid, demon with his mouth all open and stuff. It's yeah. Remind- it's a cool this is a, maybe my favorite creature effect in the movie. Yeah, it's cool. And then Geraldine kicks him through the window so he blows up. But uh, it, it, like the look of that kind of reminds me a lot of the Dr. Tongue zombie from the beginning of Day of the Dead. With the yeah. missing jaw and the long protruding tongue or whatever. So... And, and yeah, it's just it's just the nature of the storyline or whatever. But like when you kind of watch this, like I feel like even more than most heroes or whatever in these type of films, like I feel like you kind of feel, you know, the sadness of Breaker's death a little bit more because he like it really would be perfect if him and Geraldine could go around together. You know what I mean? And almost have like a phantasm type deal going on with them <laughs> fighting Billy Zane, you know, the way, you know, Reggie and Mike fought the tall man. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, I guess there kind of can only be one because, you know, it always usually happens that, you know, they eventually get killed or whatever and they have to pass it on. Yeah. And he is, he's passing on uh, the memory of of Jesus. The Jesus. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. Like, I think it would kind of be cool if they could have, you know, and I'm sure obviously 100% was a budget thing, but it would have been cool if they could have just kind of put a couple weird images in there from, like, other people that we really didn't see, you know what I mean? Like, their experiences or whatnot. I'm sure that's a that's a budget thing. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But now Geraldine has the stars uh, tattooed on the palm of her hand. It's just really weird because, you know, this premise and even, like, the monsters and stuff, like, it has a very, you know, B-movie drive-in, almost like a grind, you know, before Grindhouse was fashionable again. But, like, it has that movie type of feel, but, like, we've been pointing out all along, like, the details and stuff of this movie and the way the story's told and just how really well done it is, even for a lower-budget movie, like... Like, that's why I think this movie is a lot better than it really has any right to be, you know? Oh, yeah. It, that's uh, that's the best kind of B-movie. Yeah. You know, is the, the B-movie that... It, it knows it's a B-movie. It, it knows it's, you know, not not uh, winning awards or anything like that. It's not going to be a huge blockbuster. But it... it doesn't use that as an excuse to shy away from telling a story and and utilizing details and and uh, and it, it makes it feel like like a real movie uh, and then so it's got the fun camp of a B movie but it, it also works as like a like a movie like a real movie yeah it does there's there's you know. And, I mean, if you really, like, look at the cast and you look at, you know, where a lot of this... That little moment right there, just to interrupt you, where, you know, she reverently closes his eyes and then Billy Zane comes up (laughs) and irreverently opens his eyes now that he's dead. It's just a little character beat, like, just a quick 
couple second thing, but it just uh, it's a cool detail. And yeah, and I mean, you know, and I guess that's what you have to do when you have a smaller budget. But like, just really picking a well kind of curated veteran, you know, but interesting cast. Whereas opposed, to, like, I feel like if this movie were made now, just half the people would be kind of green and experienced actors from TV shows and whatnot. You know what I mean? Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think picking the cast they did led to little moments like that. Like, just, you know, like what Billy Zane did and whatnot. And, like, I think the thing that's really interesting about the ending of this movie is I feel like 99.9% of the these kinds of movies, like, basically, during the final battle, Breaker would, you know, get mortally wounded and then be like, oh, we won. And then he reveals, oh, I got wounded. And now it's my time. And like, that would be the end of the movie. Whereas this movie, interesting enough, he, he kind of dies early enough to where instead of just seeing it, that it's just past the Geraldine. And then that's the end of the movie. Like we actually see that, okay, not only has it been past her, but it, it's, it's actually up to her to completely defeat Billy Zane. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah I, thought that, I thought that was a great. It's not over yet by any means. Like... Yeah. Like, there's still the ending of the movie. And uh, I thought that was a great kind of interesting thing, how she hides and she jumps out, and uh, she's actually covered in the blood. And obviously, if the blood touches Billy Zane, it hurts him and whatnot. I thought that was, like, a really cool kind of, you know, because, you know, there's... I mean, not that a gun would do much to Billy Zane anyway, but, like... Because he explains, you know, you can the, she, they poke out one of his eyes earlier and it just grows back or whatever. Because that only works on the lower level demons or whatnot. I actually think that explanation is coming up. Where she jams him. Yeah, she jams either the yeah. key or something in his eye. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think mean, it's coming up soon because she jams it in his eye through the sunglasses. And he's like, ah, oh, damn, I like those. <laughs> yeah, his sunglasses he's been wearing. And, uh, yeah, she, like, the way he gets around her being covered in the blood is he, he grabs a shower curtain and grabs her with it and throws her in this bathtub and washes her off. And I gotta say, like, yeah, there it is. She's jammed on the key. But, uh, I gotta say, it's, it's kind of hilarious how after she gets, like, rinsed off here, her completely white cotton panties and bra that were completely bloodstained, they, they go back to being completely white <laughs> once this <laughs> little bit of water... <laughs> Like, even the back of her that, like, the water really didn't even spray onto, you know? Yeah, she's, that's, that's, he, it's efficient storytelling, and he's an efficient washer. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, we've been blowing this movie all night, so, I mean, let's not stop now, but, um, you know, let's, let's talk about the, the 20, the 2015, the 2016, the 2017 bent on a movie like this, whereas a, another area I think this movie doesn't get credit for is, you know, there's a lot about diversity in films now and, uh, you know, uh, women and whatever. And, uh, you know, are they strong enough in the films? Are they, you know, subservient to men, whatever? And I got to say, you know, for the whole kind of modern movement of we need strong women, we need diversity or whatever, like, and obviously Ernest Diggerson as a you know black director himself whatnot but like so obviously he was probably more in tune to the issue in 1995 than you know other directors would have been but i think he did a great cat in a great you know cch pounder jada pinkett and then the way geraldine actually really both both the 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 black women in this movie they're both really strong in their own ways and unique ways and not really 
you know, not really in a fake artificial way, but, uh, yeah, like people who criticize movies and especially like horror movies, like I don't think they really could bitch about this movie whatsoever because like the women are, you know, other than Breaker, the two biggest badasses in the movie are two black women basically. Yeah, and the the hero is, uh, is a black woman. Exactly. Now I have to say, as much as I love Demon Knight and I've watched it a million times over the years, this is always the one part I never really dug the peeing the fire or whatever. It it seemed like a little like I don't know his penis or something. Yeah. It's... Yeah, like I can't tell if he's supposed to be peeing the fire or if the the tentacle of fire is supposed to be his dick or what. But it's just it's just like a little like whatever. Yeah, that and, and we talked over it, but the the moment. Uh earlier where he's dragging her her body down the steps and it's like that really bad uh doll or dummy or whatever (laughs) like (laughs) i mean clearly i I love this he he can't say the word love yeah uh i love you that's it's a that's a again that's just like a details you know like and it's the details that put this movie over the top um a little implausible here on the on the finale with her holding that in her mouth the whole time not for that long, yeah, without swallowing it. I mean, I guess you would be extra motivated not to swallow the blood, yeah. the partial blood of Jesus, but still, because he basically dumped out all the blood, and then there was like a little bit left, and she got it in her mouth. She poured it in her mouth to you know spit on him, and. uh yeah, just that little bit in the face pretty much caused the... And it's 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 a pretty cool effect, the way he melts down. He kind of, like, foams up and melts down and then blows up. And uh, he's kind of this giant demon. I don't know yeah. what you call it. More like a bat demon. And then they, That's a cool little miniature that, the, like, whole doors and windows of the church blowing out is a cool little miniature and... I mean, it's an obvious miniature, but it's just yeah. fun to see. It works for what it is and the feel that this movie has. So, yeah, so, uh, unfortunately, I think probably Jada marrying Will Smith and also becoming super successful in her own right meant that we would never, no matter what, get a Demon Knight 2 starring her, <laughs> but... <laughs> but I, I totally would have been down for it. I think she's pretty badass. I think it would have been cool. I think it would be really cool if they made it now somehow, just to see her older and whatnot. Yeah, that, you know, like, uh, just a complete, almost retelling or whatever. You know, yeah, her just being old and it'd be her time to be up. Yeah. But, uh, No. That's <laughs> not happening. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even though it's kind of like a little hand-holding thing, I, I actually do like that they went back and they showed a quick scene of her refilling the thing, the blood with Stryker's, you know, yeah. the rest of Stryker's blood. Because if not, you, then you kind of be like, well, they dumped it all out. How, you know, it just wouldn't... I mean, obviously, you you would have to think, like, oh, well, she could go, but no, they just showed her refilling it. And uh, I like this ending where she gets on the bus and she seals the door of the bus and the bus at the next bus stop there's a demon guy trying to get on and obviously he can't yeah nah man I'll wait for the next one 
And uh, I like it too because I like I like the kind of final shot of the. Mo- I mean, it's not the final shot of the movie movie because we got to go back to the crypt keeper. But <clears throat> I like this shot where you know he lets the bus go, but then he starts slowly walking behind the bus. I think it's kind of a cool kind of almost Terminator esque. Like, yeah, I'll I'll catch up with you eventually. You know what I mean? And he's whistling the theme from Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. So yeah, I was all about this movie. It just came out the right time. This movie was in my top ten of all movies for like a you know probably a good ten years or whatever. And I eventually kind of you know grew whatever past that. But I I still would really put this might even be in my top twenty five movies. I mean I love this movie so much. And I have such fond memories. I uh, I actually bought a Demon Knight T shirt from Suncoast. Uh, whatever it was, Suncoast Motion Picture Store. It was really cool. It was a black t-shirt on the front. It had the, like, on the chest, a small kind of on one side. It had the Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. And then, uh, like, on the back, it just, the the full back of the t-shirt was a close-up of one of the demon heads. And I think the the eyes were, like, glow-in-the-dark green. But it was one of the coolest t-shirts, and I wore it and wore it till it fucking, you know, was (laughs) tatters, of course. But... Uh, and I've looked. I've always wanted to try to find another one on eBay or whatever. Just to have, just to put in the closet. I never have seen another one. But yeah, so the movie's over. So now we, you know, go to our outro. This being Tales of the Crypt of, uh, you know, the Crypt Keeper. And, and the the movie within the movie, or I don't even really know how you would phrase it. He's the director of the movie, I guess. And he's going to the premiere uh at the, i think it's the fox westwood where they have a lot of premieres of the movie he gets out of the uh the limo and uh we see him from behind he he seems to be a small gentleman in a crib keeper wig isn't he <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah th- then you know because this is a celebration of the macabre <laughs> of the crib keeper he uh he, they have a guillotine waiting for him <laughs> and he they cut his head off and he says he has final cuts. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, I love that it's part of Tales from the Crib because I think, it, but it's like, I don't know, like, like the movie's so good just to end it on. So, like, I don't really have so, such a problem with the Crypt Keeper intro, as silly as that is. But I don't know. After you watch this good movie, to see him talk about having final cut. <laughs> I don't know what's your take on that, Jelly. Yeah, it's 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 a little weird, you know. You you expect uh, you almost expect it to be a more traditional, uh, you know, keeper wraparound where he's just kind of back in his in his crypt. Um, oh, how'd you like that one, kitties? You know, yeah. like, but uh, instead of a instead of a Billy Barty stunt double bopping down a red carpet. What a horrible, like a horrible wink. <laughs> uh, but but I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it's it's that, it's that taste. Of, it is what it is. Yeah. Goofy and funny, and I mean, I you know they 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 tried to do. I give them the credit for trying to do at least something to to acknowledge that like this was the movie instead of the yeah. show. You know, yeah. like so people couldn't just come back and say, oh. It's, all you're doing is seeing a 90 minute version of what you see for for 30 minutes on HBO, you know. 
Um, Which it wasn't at all. It was very, you know, expanded in, in all the right ways, I think. Um, and then there were there were plans for, for a trilogy, and uh, none of them initially included the follow-up film. The, yeah. So there was, there was going to be, uh, I can't remember the name of the one, but the other one was supposed to be Dead... Dead Easy and Body Count. Yeah. Um, do you know? Do you, uh, you, you the the after credit sequence coming up? Yeah. It's, yeah. It he teases Dead Easy. Dead Easy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was. Reading I don't know about, anything about those movies. Do you? I wish I I wish I had it. Um, I wish I had it pulled up here, but I actually found it like real late last night, right before I fell asleep. Um, yeah. Uh, Dead Easy was about basically a family where i think it sounded a lot in a way like in all honesty but like uh sound a lot like pet cemetery too it's about basically like a family like a dad and a son who i think after the mother's death or something like that or for some tragedy they moved to new orleans and it's a uh traditional new orleans voodoo you know zombie and like i even found one guy who like was trying to spread some half-assed rumor, which I do not believe, like, whatsoever. But this guy was trying to say that they actually filmed the entire movie and that Joel Silver actually shelved it because he thought, like, the way they portrayed, like, you know, all the black people in New Orleans and the voodoo, and the, that it was just, like, it came off as really racist. So this guy was claiming, and he was going all over this message board claiming that they actually shot the movie, but then once Joel Silver saw how, like you know, potentially racist, it could be perceived by the public, he shelved it, and just, uh, and, I, and, like, there's no evidence anywhere that, like, I don't think they did, like, I think just, like, a lot of, because even the background of this movie, there was other ones, and uh, the writers of this claim that they were also trying to get the rights to Tarantino's Dust the Dawn to do that as one of the Crip movies, and, mm. uh, which I found, you know, interesting or whatever, but uh, it kind of shows that they went with Bordello Blood instead, but I don't know. They, they claim Tarantino wanted like millions of dollars or something for the script, but I don't know. But yeah, and Body Count was, I kind of forget what that said, but that had a more generic synopsis that I read, but it, it, it had something to do with some kind of ghoulish zombie bullshit. But I mean, neither one of them, I mean, granted, I'm just going from like one line synopsis that I read, but like neither one sounded really like it was going to have the depth and story that Demon Knight really did. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the only thing about this movie is I think it it had that that uh, grand kind of epic feel to it that, like, they were doomed on, on yeah. any sequels. Yeah. Because uh, you knew they weren't going to do, like, you know, end of the world, post-apocalyptic, not post-apocalyptic, but, like, this was, just like, this was like the, the fate of the universe hanging in the balance on this and oh here's our uh still here kitties Uh, (laughs) didn't get you enough a dose of murder and mayhem we'll come see daddy easy (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know yeah that's at a time when this kind of thing was not common (laughs) yeah and there technically Uh was a third tales from the crypt movie directed video that was kind of just like uh, whatever. I actually rented it one time and watched it. It was it was just an independent movie that they picked up, 
and like they shot some Crypt Keeper sequences around, but the Crypt Keeper sequences, oh my god, they were so piss poor. Did you ever see that one, Jelly? No, I didn't. Yeah, it was really bad. It was like, uh, it took place on like an island. It might have been some voodoo shit too, now that I think about it. But it took place on this island, and like these people were having an affair, and some shit happened. So like, it kind of fit the theme, but the uh, the the Crypt Keeper segments were god-awful. Like the puppet, it wasn't even like the quality that you really are accustomed to from the movie or show. You know, I don't know. It, it was It was really bad. It was like, you know. But uh, where are you at on uh, the one that they did make, Bordello of Blood, which pretty much ended the franchise? Yeah, I was just about to ask you. I think it's it's overly maligned. I uh, love it. I honestly I think love it's it. fun. Like, yeah. I I don't I don't like it as much as this. And no, I this think I I think at the time I you know when I first saw it I really didn't like it just because. I was expecting something up to this movie standards, but uh, no, I like it. It's it's fun for what it is, and it and it it's one of those movies. It has a lot of great practical effects, but it also kind of has very nineteen ninety six esque digital effects as well. With some, I don't know, some like pretty much when the vampire ladies catch on fire, I would say or whatever. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I like it a lot. I mean, it's. Like, I, you know, from that time period, a lot of my favorite movies were, like, you know, Demon Knight and From Dusk Till Dawn. And I wouldn't put Bordello Blood there, but I would put Bordello Blood, like, on a second tier of my favorite horror movies or just movies in general from that time. Yeah. Where where do you fall on the 70s Tales from the Crypt movie? You know, I've only... I haven't seen it in a long, long time. Um... And I've seen most of the times I've seen it, I've watched parts of it because it, 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 off and on, it seems like every few years on cable, it pops up and plays a lot and then it goes away. But uh, I kind of like it from what I remember. Like, I actually, especially like the, um, it, see, it does seem like more legit old school tales from the crypt to me. And I really like, I, I don't know, I really like that segment that had like the evil Santa guy in it. Yeah, that's like, I think that's like the first time that was done. Yeah, and it's and he's really like a really like nasty kind of ghoul type guy too. So. Yeah, I think it's the it's the first time uh, Killer Santa type of thing was done. Um, yeah, it, that's cool. Um, there's a there's a segment from it that because uh, it is the more like I think if I were gonna do a Tales from the Crypt movie these days, uh, just because you don't, well, I don't know, maybe because just because. Uh, you know, anthologies are, are a little more in vogue, actually, these days. I think I yeah. would frame it as an anthology. But, yeah, that's the 1972 Tales from the Crypt is an anthology. Um, the Crypt Keeper is not the one that we know at all. He's more yeah. of just a, like a hooded figure. Um, it's, I think uh, the, the devil at the end. I can't really remember. Yeah. Or he might be, like, death or something like that. But, anyways, it, it's... Uh, it's an anthology, um, and the one, yeah, the one that you're talking about with Santa is really good, and the other one that I think is really good is, um, is this, about this guy who, uh, it, he winds up being, uh, he winds up basically being a jerk, and he's got this dog, um, and I can't remember exactly everything that happens, but, uh, they end up 
kidnapping him and stealing his dog and uh there's like he gets stuck in all these alleyways where he can't see where he's going and if he makes a wrong turn he ends up cutting himself on all these razor blades and the dog is chasing him because they've been starving his dog for a week sounds bizarre (laughs) Uh, and it's a really cool it's like it's something that's stuck in my head for a long time and that i saw when i was a kid and uh i was never able to figure out where it came from because all i remember was that one part um yeah i wound up just watching this movie the the tales from the crypt movie on a lark a couple of years ago oh my god that's finally found it (laughs) um but yeah getting back to demon knight i i love it um i've loved it since the first time i saw it when i was a kid uh i i think like you like you said it's it's got a good cast of of good veterans that are confident and competent um and the the director ernest dickerson just has the confidence to let them uh, find the characters on their own and really make it their own performance, and it all comes together really well. And it's a it's a, it's a shame, storm, yeah, yeah. It's it's a shame that it it wasn't more well received, um, and it it only seems to be maybe maybe just recently uh, starting to get its due. Uh, now that it's a Scream Factory release. Yeah, and I mean, on the documentaries, both Sadler and Billy Zane say a lot of people come up to them in the public and really talk about the film. And uh, yeah, as far as merch out there, if anybody's a collector, besides that t-shirt that I had, there was a, uh, and I still have it somewhere, I have to dig it up, but you might but you might be able to find this on eBay. There was one of those like official movie magazines you, you remember those from, like, the 90s and 80s, Jelly? Yeah. And uh, there's an official one of that, and it kind of talks about the other, you know, it has some nice interviews and stuff and lots of pictures of the demons and shit. And uh, I found a page talking about it, and uh, I guess I guess that one, you know, in that magazine, they talk a lot about Dead Easy, which apparently, I don't even know why they filmed, like, this set in the movie and called it Dead Easy, because immediately after, it seemed like they started calling it Fat Tuesday. But, uh, yeah, the plot of Fat Tuesday, a.k.a. Dead Easy, it says, Trying to start over after the death of his wife, a psychiatrist moves with his son to New Orleans, but his dead father terrorizes them, drawing them into a bizarre voodoo ritual. And also, the synopsis for Tales from the Crypt body count, uh, this is just more generic, it says, The plot, while compiling clips for a documentary about violent crimes, a nephew discovers his uncle's dubious past. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I could definitely see the the Dead Easy one, like, kind of fitting into, you know, but the body count one sounded, almost sounded more like a, another script that they just found and we're going to kind of tailor <laughs> to the tales thing, you know what I mean? But who knows? We'll never see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, at this point, what, M. Night Shyamalan's trying to bring back yeah, for uh, yeah, I think the Tales from the Crypt reboot with M Night is going to be on TBS, which means don't expect it to be like the nine, the you know the HBO series, which featured a lot of nudity and you know. I've know. heard conflicting things about whether or not the Crypt Keepers even Crypt Keepers even going to be in it. Yeah, I'm I'm real cloudy on that too. Like, I don't know, like. 
Like, I've seen pictures of, like, M. Night with the Crypt Keeper, but I just think it's, like, a weird Photoshop job (laughs) (laughs) that, like, people are using to promote the, you know, clickbait articles. I don't know. Like, like, I I hope for the best, like, and I don't don't even mind if they make it different from the 90s HBO series, but I don't know. Just on, you know, like, I would feel a lot different about it if it was probably going to be on, say, like, AMC but it kind of sounds like, you know, I can't see TBS really bringing the hardcore shit, in all honesty. Because yeah, TBS, no. as a network, primarily focuses not on comedies, but comedies that can be uh, aimed at more of a family demographic, I think. so. Yeah. It, yeah. They do... The TBS, aren't they, like, very funny? Like, isn't that their... Yeah, like, uh, they're basically... They branded themselves you know, a, basically a sitcom network and they have Conan O'Brien talk show. So yeah. yeah, very, I don't know. Well, if you've never seen Demon Knight and I don't know why you're listening to this, if you've never seen Demon <laughs> exactly. Knight, uh, but do it. Um, yeah. do it now. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a great, great time. And especially like, it's a great time. Uh, I think this is one of those kind of like really great um, and they're hard to find these days. This is like one of those great like gateway movies, you know, for like someone who's who's right on the cusp, you know, 15 to 17. And, you know, maybe they're not supposed to see an R-rated movie by themselves or whatever. But, you know, if you're you're a parent, you know what your kid can handle. Um, This is a great like gateway kind of horror movie because it's got that right mix of like uh action and and funny and horror and stuff that this i think is something that could get uh a a kid into into horror because this is definitely a movie that i saw i i've always liked horror but this is a movie that i saw when i was 14 or 15 and and i loved it so yeah i was the same boat i was 17 and this was like I was obsessed with this movie after I saw it. You know, I got the magazine, got the T-shirt, whatever. If there's more, I could have bought and immersed myself. And then, you know, I had like a a, a D or a VHS, you know, recorded off HBO or something that I watched for years. And then, you know, kind of forgot about it for a couple of years. And then when the DVD came out, probably in like the late '90s, early 2000s, I watched the shit out of that. And Definitely probably going to run through this Blu-ray a couple times with those commentaries now. So, I mean, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of shocking to me that, like, you know, I mean, I don't think of this as, like, a new movie from the past few years, but it still kind of shocks me that this movie is, like, 22 years old at this point. January, yeah, January this year would have been its 22nd kind of anniversary of being released. So, I don't know. But it doesn't feel, that's the thing, though, is that when you watch it, it doesn't feel like that old of a movie, you know? No, I mean feels like something from the you know that i guess that's it is the 90s are 20 years ago at this point we just gotta deal with it (laughs) because i'm going it feels like something from the 90s just because it's it's not full of cgi but yeah uh yeah the 90s are now 20 years ago exactly so i mean i i really cannot highly recommend this i hope we convinced you if you're one of those people on the fence and just uh you know well tales from the crypt it's going to be kind of lowbrow whatever like no it's it's pretty damn good so yeah yeah so uh, like if you if you want lowbrow they made that afterwards with bordello (laughs) it's great (laughs) for what it is but yeah if you need some good shit go with demon knight so 
for sure. Jelly suggested this one to me, and I was all about it. This is, you know, this is one of the reasons, you know, this movie in particular, and this type of movie is one of the reasons why, you know, basically this show exists, you know. So, yeah, yeah thank you everybody so much for listening to us talk about Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight. <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking of the Crypt Keeper bouncing down the red carpet right now. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but thanks a lot to you, Jelly, for not only suggesting the film, but coming on board to really chop it up. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely uh, be hearing your voice more often on this show, I believe. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to dig up these gems. And thanks for listening, everybody, and keep loving the 90s movies. Thanks for having me, and yeah, thanks for listening, everyone.